Welcome to Cognation, the show about psychology, neuroscience, technology, philosophy, and anything else we happen to be interested in today. I'm Joe Hardy. And I'm Rolf Nelson. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we're going to talk about the perception of time. And in particular, we're going to talk about an interesting finding that shows the the involvement of dopamine in time perception. So we'll be looking from a paper called Dopamine, Time Perception, and Future Time Perspective. It's a paper by Jennifer Mitchell, Don Weinstein, Taylor Vegas, and Andrew Kaiser from 2018. Right, and these guys are at... I think some are at Berkeley. Yeah, UC San Francisco, and they did the research. uh, They actually used the scanner at Berkeley, and it looks like uh, Taylor Vega is at... uh, and Andrew Kaiser also have an appointment at uh, Northern California Healthcare System in Martinez. So I guess that's the VA. Yeah, so it's a cool paper, a really interesting work, actually, um, and raises a lot of interesting questions. We were interested in uh, thinking about how the brain processes time, which is what led us to this, to this work in particular. And uh, they have a very interesting take on it. So I think it should be a good conversation. So the bottom line on this paper is a really interesting one, which is that they find that taking a dopamine-increasing drug can improve your perception of time, which is really cool. So in general, people tend to be not exactly accurate on uh, how long an event lasts, and you get worse the longer it is. In particular, people tend to have a bias to say things are uh, longer than they are, I guess, or or to think that a minute is done before that it is. In other words, people are by default a little bit uh, antsy about time. Right, exactly. And there's different ways to measure time perception. There's a lot of different ways, actually. And the the one that we're talking about today is really about understanding that a certain amount of time has passed. So press a button when five seconds has passed, or ten seconds has passed, or sixty seconds has passed. Most of the uh, findings they have here are actually from 60 seconds. Let me, you know, press a button when a minute has passed. And you can't count, too. That's the thing. Uh, They said it was okay to count. I think they said they monitored whether people were using counting strategies. They did. They definitely said that. And I think what they they concluded... people People were allowed to count? They were allowed to count. Yeah, exactly. They didn't really care because they had found previously or believed previously that it didn't matter whether you were counting or not. Oh, maybe that's, I guess your counting would just speed up if you're, you know, if you're perceiving it's happening slower. That that was what I was thinking too. Like, what's the effect of counting? I mean, I I was doing this thing the other day where I was recording just like a talk track of me saying one, two, three, you know, like once a second Mm -hmm. uh, for like a, a test that I was doing, an audio test that I was doing. And what I found was that it was, I was definitely going faster. If I wasn't looking at a stopwatch, I was counting faster than a second. You know, and in a, the longer I looked away from the clock, I kept speeding up again. That's interesting. So counting doesn't help because your the speed that you're going is, is going <laughs> to change directly in relation to how your time estimation is changing anyway. Right. That seems to be what they're saying. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, they, they got the biggest effects on... As Rolf said, 
really every not everyone, but the general trend was strongly in the direction that people would press the button before the minute was up when they were trying to wait a minute. I think maybe by an average of what, around six seconds or so? Maybe it was more like three seconds, but yeah, something like that. Um, What was it exactly? But yeah, the, uh, you know, you didn't really see it as much. Yeah. About three seconds. Three seconds. Yeah, I see. That's right. Three seconds. So you didn't, you didn't really get the effect so readily or noticeable with a five second time, but was still there. Uh, you know, just, it just sort of increased continuously across like longer and longer times. But the cool thing is, and this is, a, they uh, include a really amazing graph here, um, which I mean, <clears throat> I think lays it out pretty clearly that your, when you are taking the tolcapone, which is the, the dopamine drug, your inaccuracy goes down to almost zero or is significantly reduced. So in, in all time courses, it's reduced a little bit so that you're more accurate in each case. But at 60 seconds, it's a really noticeable difference where it's a consistent, I guess it's a consistent difference of about three seconds and then less than half of a second with the people on dopamine. That's right. Exactly. I think it's probably worth taking a, a time out here to talk a little bit about the drug. Tolcapone, and we don't. We hope we're saying it correctly because <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard of this drug. But uh, that it's spelled T O L C A P O N E. Tolcapone. That's what we're saying. Is a catechol O methyltransferase inhibitor. So it's referred to by the acronym COMPT. So COMPT inhibitor. And so this catechol O methyltransferase is a uh, enzyme that breaks down dopamine, essentially, uh, or reduces the amount of dopamine that's available specifically in the frontal part of the brain, in the frontal cortex. So by taking this drug, tolcapone, you inhibit that enzyme, so you increase the amount of the availability of dopamine, essentially. Yeah, and they call it, they say it increases dopamine tone in the frontal cortex. I'm not exactly, I'm sure that's a term that people that um, that uh, research this are familiar with. I don't know exactly what tone means. Right. I mean, I think what they're suggesting is it's not like you're flooding the system with a bunch of dopamine. You're not like releasing a bunch of dopamine into synapses, but rather just you know, increasing the availability of of dopamine to be used in in neural processing. And that makes sense. Yeah, and the, we should say the reason why they use uh, this tolcapone instead of other uh, methods of increasing dopamine availability is because tolcapone particularly targets um, dopamine pathways in the frontal cortex. Uh, when we we had a show before about um, effects of dopamine, we were mainly talking about dopamine in the striatal areas, which is involved more in uh, reinforcement learning and uh, some other sorts of of um, behavior. That's right, exactly. Yeah, so tolcapone is actually a drug that is used in Parkinson's disease. So um, folks who are familiar with this stuff might be aware that there's you know a breakdown in dopamine releasing neurons 
in parts of the brain that control movement um, or initiate movement in, in Parkinson's disease. So this drug is used with some others, um, for example, L-DOPA and other uh, drugs you may have heard of in Parkinson's disease to improve um, the initiation of movement, essentially. Okay. Should we get into exactly what they're doing here? Yeah. Okay. So if you're in this very nicely, carefully controlled study, um, one of the things I appreciated about um, the study is to make sure that participants don't know that they're in the, the experimental group, they give them an extra drug that makes their pee clear so they can't notice it. <laughs> just accidentally, which so I think is kind of clever. So go, so they go into this experiment. Uh, they half of them get a placebo, and half of them get tolcapone. And then they do a couple tasks. One of them is this time estimation task f- between five seconds and sixty seconds. They just sit there and estimate when it's been sixty seconds, and that's the main result. Uh, and then to make sure that it's not just that their motor system is faster, that it's just responding faster, they give a simple reaction time test where they just have to press a button as fast as they can when a target appears. That's right. And there's no difference uh, between drug and placebo on the reaction time test. Right. So it's not just that in general, people are sort of uh, faster at these sorts of things or, or better at, at tasks in general. Right. Exactly. So that's cool. That's a good, in, that's an interesting thing. And, and you know, and uh, as Rolf was saying earlier, the big result here is that in the group that took the drug, well, everyone took the drug because it was a crossover design, but in the, in the sessions where people took the drug, their perception of time as measured by the accuracy of selecting when a minute was up, for example, was improved when they were on the drug to the point where it was, on average, across subjects, essentially perfectly accurate. So this is great. Now we can have a drug that gets rid of our um, poor time perception. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a little bit more complicated than that, of course. Uh, and we don't have all the information we would need to fully evaluate that, that, that claim. But it's an interesting result for, for, you know, in terms of understanding how time perception works. So it certainly does seem that on average, uh, the perception of time was essentially slowed down. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Slowed down. Uh, with oh, I, I find it, Yeah, I find it very confusing to, because. Yeah, you know, it is confusing because they're, a, they're asked to judge the duration of a minute. Right. And if you say 50 seconds, that almost seems like time is going faster, but I think it means that time is going slower. Time is going slower, right. So actually, their their perception of this time is going faster, more veridical, but but you know, right. relative to their previous experience, not on the drug, going, time is going faster. With right. tolcapone. With tolcapone. So their, their time perception on... The reason why I emphasize the idea that time, the average is more accurate is that to understand whether this drug actually improves a person's ability to accurately say how much time has passed, what you really need to look at is the variability. Yes. 
and they didn't really get into that too much. So, but it's more just that on average, the the response is, is more vertical, it's more correct. Yes. So that, but yeah, still very, very cool. And it's a strong, you know, uh, in terms of just like, if you just look at the, the pattern of effects, it's a strong effect. I mean, the actual statistics come out to be a little bit marginal in the sense that it's like kind of close on the uh, statistical significance. It does come out statistically significant, but you kind of have to look at it a certain way. Yeah. Uh, so that that's not awesome for them. There were, there were 66 participants, which is not a huge number, but it's, you're giving people a drug. It's a lot. That's, that's an expensive time consuming study. So um, it's, it's good that they were able to get something, but yeah, it's not overwhelming um, in terms of the effect, but, but yeah, I mean, in general, directionally what, what they were expecting and, and, a, and a cool result. Yes. Okay. So the, and, and I think what is really interesting about this is um, well, it doesn't necessarily indicate that there's a single place in the brain where time, you know, a, a single dedicated area in the brain where time perception happens. I mean, the first thing you might take from this is, okay, they showed that giving tolcopone to the frontal lobe um, or giving dopamine to frontal areas uh, makes time perception better. Uh, you might think that that's what Part of the, there's a part of the frontal lobes that's dedicated to that. It seems like more likely it's just a general increase in uh, accuracy and working memory and sort of executive function, all the stuff that the frontal lobe does. Um, but I wouldn't say that they found a, a single place in the brain that that keeps track of time or that measures time. Right. No, definitely not. I wouldn't say that either. No. So I mean, in terms of yeah. Sorry, just to follow up on that. So in terms of when we think of, you know, what's going on in the brain in terms of timekeeping, um, there's been a long history of research into this. And um, there are some areas in the brain that are implicated in certain kinds of timekeeping, like uh, keeping the beat or, uh, or timekeeping over the course of a day. So we have circadian rhythms that keep us in tune over the course of 24 hours. Um, and we can, we can, synchronize up with with uh you know beats or repeated actions but in terms of uh we we don't have a single centralized clock in our brain that sort of syncs up with the world so this is why we're you know we we can be poor at estimating things like um how long is 60 seconds because we just don't have any mechanism in our brain to do that we have to um we have to change it for each task that we do we need a new timer for each task that we do yeah, exactly. I mean, you might have a very different result in terms of accuracy for a person doing a tapping task, for example, where you have to tap once per, you know, half yeah. a second or, you know, once per second or what have you. Right. Keeping so this may, rhythm, be, it might be, so very this may be something that um, if you're, a, <laughs> you might look at this and say, well, I'm a drummer. I, I want to have better timing that wouldn't necessarily have something like that. Maybe that's too short of time perception. Right, exactly. And different a different kind of time perception as well. Although it would be interesting to see, uh, I, I'm sure that's been studied, the relationship between that is not something I know about, but that would I'd be interested to learn more about that. But yeah, the I mean, the really interesting thing that they bring out here is uh, the relationship between this type of time perception, the underlying genetics, and different mood disorders 
And yeah, it's strange. It seems strange that time perception would be closely related to stuff like depression and stress, but uh, it makes sense, I guess, when you think about it. Yeah, they report that the drug effect of you know Im- the improvement in time perception from the drug is related to uh, whether people drink alcohol too much and whether they're impulsive and whether they're, they tend to be depressed. So they measured using psychological scales, those different things of, uh, you know, sort of like alcohol use, um, depression and impulsivity. And they found that people who were, you know, more prone, for example, towards hazardous drinking had larger drug effects of, of the tolcopone. In other words, the tolcopone was more helpful in making their time perception accurate, you know, if they, or had a history of hazardous drinking. So how do you make sense out of this? I mean, I guess if you think about impulsivity, which, you know, plays a part in um, drug addiction or any of these other problems, uh, you know, chronic gambling, something like that, a lot of impulsivity might be, and this is what they relate in the paper, a lot of impulsivity might be related to not being able to perceive time correctly because it seems like things are taking longer than they are, right? Right. Yeah, you're, you're impatient. You're impatient. Yeah. Time seems to extend longer than it than it does. Exactly. You know, or there may be some third factor that's related to both. So something about the fact that you're uh, feeling irritated or annoyed or or what have you is making it feel like time is going slowly. Yes, but it's just yeah. I mean, it's very interesting, and they 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 indicate that there have been studies on this COMPT gene, uh, you know, this methyltransferase that breaks down um, and reduces the availability of of dopamine. Uh, that this gene is related to frontal cognitive function. So there's a relationship between hazardous alcohol use, behavioral impulsivity, and mood disorders, and this gene. And uh, just very interesting that that there's also then this relationship between those things and time perception, and that this, then this drug kind of comes in and is related to all to you know in both directions. So yeah, all of these things are all very closely connected. Yeah part of the same cognitive systems. So the obvious question then becomes, and probably I'm guessing where they're coming from, uh, although they don't really get into it directly here too much, is, well, if, if people were highly impulsive and, and had, for example, drinking problems, could that be helped with a drug like this, for example? Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting time to think about who would benefit from this kind of drug. Right. I mean, there's no, there isn't research, so we don't know. You know, the uh, a hope is that it could be a useful thing for depression. Right. Depression or uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, you know. Anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly related to, uh, you know, drug or alcohol use. Um, it does, it does this, this particular drug has some side effects that might be, uh, you know, make it hard to implement in that context. But maybe there's other dr- better drugs that could be made that would have less side effects. You do have these 
movement related side effects with this drug at high doses over time. Uh, so it's you know, not something you're just going to want to take because you want to improve your video game skills. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. No. And, you know, just, be, you know, with its relationship to Parkinson's disease, you can imagine that there would be this movement effects, but they, you know, those are some of the listed side effects. You might have spontaneous movements uh, and, you know, like twitching and other kinds of things like that, that could be uh, disruptive. And there probably are other more physiological effects. And then when you go off the drug, you could have other movement problems as well. So it's not like something you would just want to be taking casually. Well, one other thing that this may indicate, I don't know, is that um, maybe you could get some benefit by training time perception or increasing, uh, you know, if you could behaviorally change time perception by increasing those tasks so that you could... um, you could get people with depression or anxiety to uh, more realistically perceive time. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, if this is a mechanism, is if, if it is the case that depression or anxiety can be made worse by inaccurate time perception, then you know that could be a, a something to target. Exactly. I mean, I like what they said in the beginning of the paper and uh, trying to like explain you know how to think about this. Yeah, you know, they say. As anyone who has ever known, uh, as anyone who has ever taken a long car trip knows, individuals have different thresholds for deciding to ask, "Are we there yet?" <laughs> yeah, and I think that really kind of sums up the the vibe of it, right? Like some, you know, like kids, for example, are like, "Are we oh. there? Yet? Are we there yet?" Yeah, you know, you can imagine that their percep, you know, a, a child's perception of how much time has passed. Uh, you know, when a minute has passed would be very different than an adult's. And that's why, you know, one of the things they mentioned in the, in the discussion was that this is, you know, a group of people taken from San Francisco, uh, Bay area uh, and mostly younger people. And you might see different results with older people or people from different cultures or different parts of the world. It, it does make a lot of sense if, I mean, if we think of brain development as continuing till the mid-20s, um, you might be looking at, and, and we also, certainly kids are more, impu- you know, younger kids are more impulsive and teenagers are more impu- impulsive than adults. So that that could be an issue. It really, yeah, it makes me just sort of question or, or think about why would it be, just thinking evolutionarily here for a second, why would it be that people would, in general, have this misapprehension of time where they think that you know a minute goes by faster than it really does? You might have something with, uh, you know, you were talking about cultural influences. Um, it could be that, you know, on the savannah, we evolved to perceive 60 seconds as 60 seconds, but we're more impulsive because there's a lot more going on now. Right. That's, I mean, that's a total speculation that doesn't, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, you know, it would be interesting to explore, you know, how your, your ability to wait 60 seconds is influenced by cultural things going on. But I mean, of course on the Savannah, 60 seconds had no meaning. Right. 60 seconds didn't, you know, it's a set, uh, an, an externally 
imposed time frame doesn't mean anything, right? Right. Yeah. It's like important to it's important to us culturally now, but yeah, it couldn't it, it couldn't be something that evolved because we didn't have. But we did have the sun, and people were, you know, people have been paying attention to time for as long as people have, you know, as long as we know of, you know, people have been recording when the sun reaches different parts of the sky at different times of the year and really paying attention to that because that has a lot of impacts on a lot of things in terms of, uh, well, certainly being outside where you can see during the day, uh, and how warm or cold it is. And then also related to the changing of the seasons, of course. That's right. But, and people are, are, are out of touch with a lot of that stuff now, less connected with changing of seasons and, and, um, longer term kinds of time givers. I, I mean, if you're out, if you're outdoors less, I guess you have less access to the things that are changing over the course of a day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, it, it's interesting because I'm just trying to think about would it make a difference if you were more tuned into the diurnal clock, you know, uh, like a passing of a day, would that help you in determining the length of a minute or not? Because it's, it's sort of very different, right? Because like a minute is like this arbitrary cut on right. an hour, which is an arbitrary cut on a day. Mm-hmm. A day, obviously, is a certain length. But, a day um, has meaning to our bodies already, certainly, yeah. Right. But it, it, is a, it is a subdivision, and it's like a regular subdivision. So it's, it's not necessarily, I guess, I mean, it, it is arbitrary that we chose to break it out into that many subdivisions. But it's a, you know, it's a constant ratio of a real thing that's happening in the world so it could be related or could not be related. yeah both are both are possible so i don't think we should probably give this drug to our kids although it's it's tempting well um is it something that you think would um make them wait longer to eat marshmallows (laughs) that's right i mean or or wait longer to say are we there yet i mean that's the one that i was thinking of specifically in the car but yeah, I mean, I wonder if it, I wonder if it would have that effect on people, you know, whether it would have a a real behavioral effect. Because that was one of the things that came out of the paper was that people didn't notice that they were on the drug when they were on the drug. Yeah, that's right. So you could imagine that maybe it wouldn't have that that large of an effect that you would notice it behaviorally in that way. Huh. Yeah. But it's cool. And dopamine is interesting. I mean, there's so many things that dopamine is involved in so many different uh, so many different aspects of cognition. It's just interesting that it plays into this storyline here as well. So there's one more thing from the paper that I think is worth mentioning, and that's the, let's see, they got a an increase in activity that was closely related to the uh, strength of the of the effect. You're talking about the fMRI result? Yeah. 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 So they were looking at these different, in one of these connectivity, uh, connectivity, functional connectivity kind of results. Uh, so it looks like the connection from the right inferior frontal gyrus to the right putamen, this connection is strongest when tocopone causes an increase in duration estimation. So in other words, when tocopone is having this uh, when it's correcting this um, mistaken time perception, it has the strongest connection between the right inferior frontal gyrus and the right putamen. 
Yeah. So overall, I thought it was a very interesting paper, super interesting topics in terms of thinking about dopamine, time perception, uh, you know, some of these behavioral disorders, how they're related, how it's related to different parts of the brain and genetics, just a lot of cool pieces coming together. So, you know, big shout out to the authors there um, on, on this. Just yeah, some really, really nice paper. paper, really nice paper. And, and it's, it's just strange to think that your uh, your perception of time can be affected like this. But it's also, I think, one of the bottom lines we really want to get at here is this connection of time perception to impulsivity and depression and stress and anxiety that that seems to be important and and that they're all connected in in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have any thoughts on, on the show or, you know, this one or any of anything that you talk about, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on email at uh, cognation podcast, all one word at gmail.com cognition podcast at gmail.com. You can uh, tweet at me uh, at JL Hardy PhD. And, and you can try to tweet at me at R-O-F-L Nelson, but I probably won't see it. I'll see it, and then I'll let okay. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, tweet at us if you want to let us know something or you have something you want us to talk about on the show or you want to be on the show, anything. Uh, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.